Welcome to Coffee House. I just wanted to share something, uh, a short one here that I would hope that everybody is aware of. In anticipation of the upcoming midterm elections, Twitter has announced a new civic integrity policy. And the context and the terms that they use should uh, just remind everybody of a particular work of hopefully fiction from the 20th century. So we're just going to look at some of the quotes from this particular policy and discuss some of the implications and uh, concerns that a reasonable person might have uh, as a result. So, civic integrity. Quote, we're working to prepare for elections, elevate credible information, and help keep you safe on Twitter. Those are three distinct assertions. One, prepare for elections. That's already concerning. Obviously, in anticipation of the 2020 election, Twitter prevented a story by the New York Post from being shared on their platform. And a lot of other tech companies did the same because they there were partisan actors who decided that it was Russian disinformation. And then it was subsequently by the New York Times and the Washington Post. It was subsequently verified. These were the Hunter Biden emails and all the laptop information. Then there's the call to elevate credible information. Of course, the credible information that they mean is the mainstream media outlets. Those are the ones they have deemed credible because they restate regime information. But not only that, also things like the CDC. And recently we had the CDC, I think NPR did a breakdown of this. The CDC changed the guidelines when it came to COVID. That just happens to align with what many, many people who were decrying the CDC and the government overreach had been saying for the last two years when it came to what people need to do and whether vaccinated and unvaccinated people need to be treated differently and all those sorts of things. So, of course, the Twitter itself means that it will elevate sources like the CDC, despite having been wrong for years on end, and verifiably so. And they will help keep you safe on Twitter. And something about this wording, not just something, I mean, obviously, the wording is really odd, because it specifically says, help keep you safe on Twitter, which is just a mirroring of the rhetorical trick that a lot of regime leftists, the regime leftist commentators or policymakers uh, try to use, where they try to conflate things that happen online with real-world violence. They're saying that, uh, you know, just the most vague things that could happen on the internet, that you're sending a message here and there, is the same as committing violence in real life. So they say, keep you safe on Twitter. It's, it's very strange. They continue, the mission of our civic integrity work is to protect the conversation on Twitter during elections or other civic processes. We do this actively by helping elevate credible information, promoting safety, collaborating with partners, and providing transparency along the way. End quote. And this kind of a statement is uh, highlighted by what happened to journalist Alex Berenson recently who was removed from Twitter and then sued Twitter, and as part of a suit settlement was reinstated, but as part of the discovery during the whole process, Berenson received an email that a Twitter somebody from Twitter's personnel had talked to somebody in the White House, and they were recounting the fact that the people at the White House were asking why Alex Berenson hadn't been removed yet, why he was still on Twitter. This is as reported by the Wall Street Journal, which is behind a paywall, but Fox News has a, an article about it as well. But this was a journalist who was removed from Twitter, banned, and it just happened to coincide with the White House questioning why that person was still on Twitter. Now, of course, a private company, as as many like to repeat, a private company can do what it wants when it comes to speech within the confines of, you know, the distinction between a publisher and a platform. But when it's done at the urging of the government, the government has particular restraints from the Constitution when it comes to speech. But there are other, they say other similar things. We're committed to protecting the integrity of the election conversation. What on earth could that possibly mean? (laughs) Protecting the integrity of the election conversation. Now, 
How many believe that that will be dutifully restricted to only the most egregious and objective acts of protection of the election conversation? Uh, We already had in 2020, obviously everybody knows this, some partisan actors decided to call the, uh, the Hunter laptop Russian disinformation. And so all these different tech companies banned it right before the election. And then two years later, we had the New York Times and Washington Post say, oh, you know what? We verified it. Yeah, it is. It is authentic. They also say that, quote, we assess the potential for online or offline harm. Again, that's that weird conflation of real life and online violence. And we talked about this actually related to some other book that that we discussed, how in how there's a a kind of distinction between violence uh, when it comes to the genders. And men tend to, I think it was in the Jordan Peterson book, but uh, men tend to see violence as physical in person. Those, that's the kind of violent interaction they're more likely to have. You know, men get into those altercations all the time. Whereas women, they do more reputational kinds of tete-a-tetes. So they're more likely to see things that people say because it's, it's a more um, effective way for them to engage in violence because they are physically less capable. So they have to be more sly and more clever when it comes to the kinds of violence they can enact. That's why they have a greater interest in reputational damage and gossip and those kinds of things, because that's the kind of sport that they can engage in with more safety. So the kind of online harm would be a more feminized version of understanding what violence is. And this conflation has been downloaded wholesale by the regime because they can use it so easily to just determine that, oh no, well we need more regulation in this area, we need more regulation in that area, we need more control because these things are are conflated in this way. The point is that they are explicitly making this policy, saying that you can be harmed online from what somebody says. They're not saying that where somebody uses online information to harm somebody in real life, they could be very explicit about this. They could just make it only about doxing or only about trying to, you know, engage in human trafficking or call for direct violence against somebody or something like that. But they specifically don't do that. And it's the point to not do that. It's the point to make sure it's as open and vague enough that they can use it to police speech that wouldn't by any account be considered violent or causing violence or anything like that. Quote, the potential for false or misleading information about civic processes, end quote. So this is something that they are stating is their grave concern. Again, they could be very explicit about what this means. So traditionally, what this would have meant before these tech companies started getting uh, overconfident and overzealous in their ability to police what's true and what's not, what it would have meant is that when people say, there's that old joke, that if, if you're voting for somebody from my party, then the voting day is this day. But if you're voting for somebody of the other party, then the voting day is a couple days later. So traditionally, it would have been strictly about that. It would have been uh, misinformation about like how to vote, where to vote, what day you're supposed to vote. Those kinds of things would have been restricted. But they extended it to things like the Hunter Biden laptop. They extended it to things that people might say or post about Joe Biden or the CDC or COVID vaccines or a recession. I mean, that was something that we saw recently is that they, they went in one of the dictionaries, online dictionaries, they went in and changed the definition of a recession to completely with what the government said that it was. There was another instance, and this isn't Twitter specifically, but it, it was somebody who was on CNN. They were talking to a representative from the FBI, and the representative from the FBI explicitly said, or it was, it might have been just another pundit, but whatever the case, they specifically said the FBI does not like the term raid. They they like some other kind of term that's more euphemistic. And in real time, CNN changed the Chiron to make sure that it didn't say raid anymore, because they had put raid, that they raided Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago. 
So just to be clear, I think that CNN might have been MSNBC, whatever, or whoever did it. It's an extremely odd rhetorical thing, and it's the way that pe- they have managed to make everything more extreme than it ever has been when it comes to policies. It's just incredible the power of language, the ability to be able to do that. But when it comes to Twitter, like I said, they left it vague when it comes to voting. They could have just said, okay, we're not going to let you say that the voting day is another day. That that's just one thing that we're not going to let you do. But they left it open so that they can prevent information that might be harmful to Biden or other Democrats or other regime sponsors. So they have that ability to try to massage the results of an election. Quote, our goal is to foster free expression globally and ensure that conversations are based on reliable information and healthy discourse, end quote. Man, is it ridiculous to have a tech platform talk in these terms, to ensure that conversations are based on reliable information and healthy discourse. Can you imagine? You're sitting around, you know, talking to a friend or family or whatever about something, about politics, and there's somebody sitting there, like with a ruler... (laughs) And every time that you say something they deem unreliable, they slap you. And of course, it's only from one side. It's not as though, you know, the whole story about the the nuclear codes having been stolen. Twitter didn't go in and say, oh, you know what, Washington Post? Uh, This doesn't seem reliable. This doesn't seem like an accurate thing. Also, this information, uh, it couldn't have been legally revealed because it's part of an open investigation. So therefore, we're going to prevent you from sharing this information until we know that it's reliable. No, they didn't do that. Of course not and ensure a healthy discourse. Can you imagine? Obviously, one of the biggest things when it comes to this, and holy hell, does Matt Walsh deserve a tremendous amount of credit in this forum, but when it comes to... LGBTQ and trans rights and all those kinds of things. Quote, healthy discourse. You broaden the definition of healthy so much that you can just say that it's unhealthy to have a conversation about whether men can be women or whether women can be men or what woman means or whatever. There's that part, there was that time a while ago where a bunch of these uh, liberal news media outlets were closing down. They had to lay off a whole bunch of people because their ratings plummeted because they didn't get to talk about Trump anymore. (laughs) And so a bunch of people were tweeting at them, learn to code, learn to code, learn to code. And Twitter stepped in the way. There were a whole bunch of these. Twitter got in the way and said that, no, you can't tweet learn to code because it's not healthy discourse. There were a a tremendous number of these kinds of examples, but especially when it comes to anything related to sexuality or the term groomer has been banned now. James Lindsay got banned permanently from Twitter because he used that term. This again, they leave it as broad as possible so that they have ability to manage the outcome of elections. Quote, our civic integrity policy aims to prevent the use of Twitter to share or spread false or misleading information about a civic process, e.g. elections or census, that may disrupt or undermine public confidence in that process, end quote. How insane is that? How insane is that to suggest that anything that might undermine public confidence in that process? So they get to determine whether it's false or misleading, and notice they put both of those, false or misleading. So it can be technically true, but they'll decide that it's misleading information because it has some kind of outcome they don't like and this happens all the time of course but that may not just disrupt but also undermine it could even just undermine public confidence in some way in the elections process how much space is there rhetorically how much space is there within that particular sentiment to be able to just kind of adjust the information that goes out whether it's true or not it doesn't matter and we talked about this at some point we talked about how things are too complex for the human mind to understand all the particulars So you have a lot of space within complexity. I think there's a quote about that. I think I... Weak minds justify their misdeeds in the shadow of complexity. 
I don't know who said it, but that is shockingly accurate. When you have any complex system like this, like an election, then it leaves so much space for human beings to be incredibly biased. And you can justify it easily. And that's one thing that's been amazing to me over the last, I don't know, just couple of weeks, especially when it came to the Trump raid stuff. Something that's absolutely amazing to me is how... When you're on Twitter, you can go to somebody who's a liberal. They've been just advertising like crazy all these liberal perspectives on the Trump raid. They just constantly come up in my suggested tweets now. But you can see that perspective, and you'll see that there will be tens of thousands of likes or whatever, and not that many comments. And it's utterly... These are mind-boggling numbers that I cannot believe that the takes that people would have on these things that are just completely wrong. There was the one issue with the... Something that's incredibly simple. It's just Trump's passports. When all this happened, Trump put out a statement and said that they took his passports. A bunch of people online, you could see it on the, the Twitter threads, they were saying, ah, oh, he's such a liar. Liar's gonna lie. This is a big time liar. That's what he does. And then uh, a, a news story came out that says that, oh, a source at the DOJ or wherever in the FBI suggests that nobody took Trump's passports. So he's completely wrong about this. And then they acknowledged that they took his passports and they said that they were gonna give him back. So the people in the comments suggested, who cares if they took his passports? He's getting them back. So doesn't matter like there is this whole process that people are so capable of doing because we are it's better historically when it comes to an evolutionary perspective it's better to be more tribal than more right it's better to be more committed to your tribe the people who uh, you know your friends family your local community it's better on a longitudinal scale to be more committed to them than you are committed to what's true or what's morally correct So you see this play out constantly, especially when it comes to Twitter, especially when it comes to Donald Trump for some reason, because people are so inflamed that they are absolutely willing to sacrifice anything at the altar of Orange Man Bad to demonstrate that they are part of their tribe. So, and it's utterly hilarious, of course, that they only started doing this uh, when it came to Trump and trying to prevent him from getting some kind of an electoral benefit. Because they could have spent four years preventing anybody who was spreading Russian collusion hoax nonsense, preventing any of them from saying anything. If if Twitter were honest, then what they would be doing at this point is restricting every Democrat who has anything to say about Donald Trump. They'd be restricting anything they had to say about him until they could verify that those things were true. But of course they don't do that. There's an article, it's um, Cat TV, I think it's a local news network, but it talks about how Elon Musk was slamming the decision to censor a Hunter Biden laptop story. So obviously that was a big deal and there were uh, there was a large percentage, enough to have swung the election, who said that if they had heard about what was going on with Hunter Biden's laptop, then they would have switched the vote. Now, whether that's true or not, the entire point is that Twitter executives should not be the ones who are making that determination. Then they have these things, uh, they suggest that election moments, and this is what they say about these. Quote, election moments can also serve as debunks, which help elevate information from subject matter experts on prevalent, misleading, and false information, end quote. Now, of course, the subject matter experts are going to be people from Politico and the Washington Post and New York Times. They will be all those uh, foreign policy or uh, espionage experts or whoever who suggested that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Again, when you have this much complexity, especially when it comes to politics, that's why it's so easy when it comes to politics to be misleading and manipulate people. When you have something that's so complex, it's really easy to rationalize unjust positions and pretend to be more certain about things than you actually are. 
And other subject matter experts like, you know, Dr. Fauci and those kinds of people are going to be the ones that they are consulting to give this imprimatur to the information that's going to end up, you know, being proven wrong a few months down the line. And the point is, even if it wasn't wrong, even if it was completely right and that's fine, these tech companies are not in the truth dispensing business. That's not what they're for. And I can't wait until there are more lawsuits that are challenging these things because they are just wading deep into this stuff. And that's why places like Facebook and other tech companies are calling for regulation now while Democrats are in office so that they can get the kinds of guidance that they want so they can go into this stuff. They can do whatever they want. They can censor who they want without having to worry about a lawsuit on the other end calling them a publisher instead of a platform. So they talk about trends too. If a trend contains misleading information and violates other rules, it may be removed. And that happens all the time. You see that constantly when there's a trend that they don't like, they will just remove it altogether. Quote, we work alongside political parties, researchers, experts, and election commissions and regulators around the world. We also stay in touch with national parties and state and local election officials to be sure they know how to report suspicious activity, abuse, and rule violations to us. Key election stakeholders also have channels to directly escalate any issues or concerns to us. End quote. What is the concern? about key election stakeholders having direct channels to a tech company that is managing the the public conversation. And what are the chances, again, that we just magically have them doing this in an objective way? And which political parties, which researchers, which experts, uh, which election commissions, and which regulators around the world are they working with? And it's so funny because, uh, I mean, in this particular quote, it says uh, they're in touch with local election officials and make sure that they know how to report suspicious activity, abuse, and rule violations to us. Now, do they mean all those things about elections themselves? No, of course not. They mean to report people who are using Twitter in a way that they deem to be in violation in some way. Can you imagine if Twitter put out a thing that said that if you think there's anything suspicious going on with the elections, then we're going to amplify those things. Of course, that might actually be useful in some way, but instead, no, that's not at all what they mean. So just to talk about this kind of in a big picture. Now, everybody on Earth can see the concern with a major tech company managing election information. There's a Fox News story that explicitly talks about how Twitter employees give 99% of donations to Democrats. And that's for these midterm elections. That's the the skewed perspective of Twitter employees. It would be an absolute miracle, just an epic miracle for every employee of Twitter to be the only humans ever who have no bias for their tribe. So the more power they get, the less oversight they have, the more encouragement and less official pushback, the more they will be manufacturing elections, not facilitating information about elections. Just remember, Twitter execs and employees have no remorse about censoring true and relevant information in service of their ideological good. We humans are built specifically in this way to be willing to support the tribe over everything. That's why we have to do a million different things to try to make sure that we are being as accurate as we possibly can be. So anyway, that I just wanted to talk about that because I thought it was just shocking how blatantly Orwellian everything in this was. We are in a ludicrously complex situation. The reality is that even if there are other platforms that one can use to spread particular kinds of information, Twitter has been the regime-chosen method for doing so. So it's specifically where the regime has to be challenged. It's something that has insinuated itself into news stories all the time. You see people taking quotes from Twitter and getting a direct access to political actors and to particular topics and international voices and all those sorts of things via this particular medium. Now, although, you know, uh, Elon Musk, he's going through his 
lawsuit related to Twitter that they're suing to try to force him to buy the thing. He said there were way too many bots. There's a lot of speculation, and honestly, it seems like the most accurate representation of what actually happened with this whole thing was that Elon Musk just wanted to get a lot of money. He wanted to be able to sell a bunch of Tesla stock without tanking the price. So what he did was say that he was going to buy Twitter, so he sold $44 billion worth of Tesla stock and then goes through this whole process because he already knew that the bots were going to be way higher than they ever suggested they would be and he'd be able to get out of the sale. And that way he gets to keep his money, he doesn't tank Tesla stock, and he gets to move on with his life from there. He didn't actually have the intent to purchase Twitter. Which is a sad state of affairs, you know, you wish, you certainly wish that we could have a a public forum like this that's so important that would have the support of somebody like Elon Musk, especially right before an election. That would have been uh, just incredible, especially with everything that they've been saying in this new policy. I just wanted to do a one-off about that. Uh, We've got the other book coming up on Thursday, and then we will go from there. So I hope all is well. Keep fighting the good fight, and I'll see you on the next one. All right, bye.